0: Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics See how you can get involved in support throughout All ages 15:30 apologetics by visiting throughout com. That's throughout com. <laughs> Joe, Where is that magnifying glass?
1: How you doing today? This is Joe Giona with 1530 Apologetics Throughout All Ages. We're going to look at worldviews today, and we're going to hold them up in a scale of truth and see if they make sense in the reality that you live in. And in this worldview, we want to look at history, science, archaeology, and philosophy and see if your worldview can hold up to scrutiny. And so, the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about this great universe. How did this universe get here? Why is there something at all instead of nothing? And then we want to look at life. And today, uh, we want to talk about mutations and natural selection and the Cambrian Explosion. Um, First, I'd like to say this, is that evolution teaches that things are going from worse to better. Whereas the Bible teaches everything was good and now is falling apart and it's decaying. Entropy. And so when we look just at the two world views, when we talk about entropy and the law of entropy, um, even the Bible predicts with a truth claim that this world started off good but it's running down it's going down and that it will come to an end one day and you know we we see this in mutations we see that in every human being that's born uh, there's a hundred mistakes deleterious mistakes uh, in the human body and this is going on from generation to generation and there are actually atheists uh, scientists that are saying we should have been dead a hundred times over, right? Because of this fact of the mutations and the deletions that are going on. And when we talk about mutations, we're talking about what Darwin called coming from a single ancestry, a common descent, by undirected mutations and natural selection. So when we think of this, we need to think that the goal of this mutation, the goal of inanimate matter, the goal of a single cell organism when it comes about, that in each of these uh, ideals, in the each of these ideologies that's talking about evolution, we are talking about something that implies no goal. It's an unguided evolution that applies to humans, whales, birds, reptiles, insects, that there is no goal, just a product of billions of years of mutations and natural selections acting on organisms which have, which have managed to survive long enough to breed, and we need to remember that 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 is the goal. The goal is to breed, to bring new life. Now, natural selection and mutations and evolution is not looking at the end goal. So they're not saying the end goal. Oh, this human being is so diverse and so so multifaceted. That, that's not what they're saying. Uh, Evolution is actually looking for something that just can duplicate itself, that can breathe, that can metabolize, and can uh, procreate another one of their hereditary. And so this is what their goal is, and so we need to remember that. So evolution occurs in two stages, mutation and selection. Genetic mutations were long thought to occur randomly, sometimes leading to beneficial changes in organisms. But we are finding out more often it's causing harm or no effect at all. And as we look at these mutations, it's the ones who survived there that day, that hour, that moment. Those are the ones that they are looking to reproduce deleterious changes and neutral uh, mutations that those would soon die off, not being able to live long on the earth and fall into extinction. So a mutation is a change in the genetic material which results in a rearranged hereditary determinant. And all that's saying is is that they're saying if you look at this universe from inanimate material, to single organism, to multi-organisms, this unguided, blinded, natural selection by mutation is how we got everything that's here. Now, scientists know that we are degrading rapidly because of these deleterious um, mutations that we're getting. And the thing about these deleterious um, mutations there is this box that you would have to look at or there there is this frame, and you would have dark in the inside, and you'd have white on the outside and When we look at this box inside of this box it, the at least the dark part of the box would be the gray box would be all these mutations that that they cannot select there cannot be no selected it it's they're not quick enough to have this natural selection. Most of our deleterious mutations will come in an area where it cannot be selected or identified. And it just runs through. It just becomes a part of our DNA. Most of the mutations, uh, they cannot select as bad and, and call them out. They're in this black area. And then you got this white area that's minimally small... That you could have this natural selection that's taken apart in this small, little, minimal area. And so this is why you would have scientists say, hey, between all these deleterious deletions of mutations, um, we should see humankind disposed already. So when we talk about mutations and randomness and unguided mutations. One single cell becomes 10 trillion cells undirected that comes from bacteria and turns into a human being. And each human cell contains approximately 3 billion base pairs. And they want to tell us that's by blind chance and undirected. John Sanford says, isn't it remarkable that the primary axiom of biological evolution essentially claims that typographical errors plus some selective copying can transform a wagon into a spaceship in the absence of any intelligence or purpose or design. I had this gentleman that I was talking to and he was talking about someone in his family and he said, you realize that the doctor told me it took Two, they know exactly where his uh, family member got a disease from. He said, "You realize it only took two or three nucleotide mutation that causes death or dramatically changes a human life with disease and cancer. So how can we as humans to look at the difference between a chimp's ancestry and a man?" And with 50 million nucleotide changes or spelling errors, how can they say without a doubt we are the ancestries of a chimp? You know, that's illusionary. That's a presupposition that the scientist holds to or the atheist. But this is not science. Science. I mean, think about that. Two or three nucleotide mutations dramatically can change a human life. And yet the difference between the chimp and the human is 50 million nucleotide changes or spelling errors. And they want to say that our DNA is resembled close to the chimp ancestry. When we talk about mutations, we need to see that mutations work Horizontally, not vertically, we have never seen that we have never seen a change of kind of a change of any type of species, as the science would like to call it, from a frog from a a vertebrae to a reptile or from a reptile. To an animal, we've never seen this type of vertical change. And of course, they say it takes billions and billions of years to see that. But yet, we can look at the common world that we live in, and all the creatures, and everything that we can see that's alive, and we don't see them turning from one kind to another kind, as I would like to call it, macro evolution even with e coli with the bacteria i mean think about it 60 70 thousand generations which is which is a million or two years and you still get bacteria it's still bacteria it hasn't changed e coli is e coli bacteria is bacteria and it hasn't changed out of 64,000 to 70,000 generations of this bacteria. It's one of those things that you can get a million monkeys on a typewriter, but you will not get Shakespeare. Well, I'm a fan of the watchmaker ideal. As you're walking on the beach, and if you look down and you see that watch there, or you see a sign that says, I love you, that you know it comes from a mind. You know it could not just jump there. That we know the difference between a rock and a mind that's sitting there, that knows about beauty, love, and judgment. And so I agree with the watchmaker ideal. Now, I understand that with the mutations, we get these phenotypes that are working with us. Our hair, our color, our skin. But when we talk about mutations, uh, there were these two scientists Stay with us as we come into the second part of Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. We are talking about mutations, natural selection, and the Cambrian explosion. We'll be right back.
0: Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K Praise.
1: Throughout all ages ministry, 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the students' character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith.
0: For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages, 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona, on K-Praise.
1: So here we are, the second part. I'm glad you could join us with 1530 Apologetics. And I want to talk about natural selection. There were these two scientists. And what they did is they took two proteins that are similar From the same family line and wanted to see how long it would take to coordinate these proteins to make a new function as evolution would have this divergent take place you would have the first family member provide a starting point for conversions to new but related functions and what these scientists did is that they they did not focus on the minor functions variations with families, but rather on innovations, transitions to genuinely new catalytic functions. So as they took this um, enzyme, it happened that it took seven or more nucleotide substitutions to coordinate to get this functional conversion of a transition that was new but they said if this happened in evolution time, it would take four billion years just for these proteins to turn into a new Cadillac function, without being coordinated, without being coordinated, without having human mind to it, it would take four billion years. And when we look at the human race, when we look at all of life, we are talking about billions and trillions of new innovations to make every animal and every human on earth. And if you think that could come within these 14.5 billion years, but I would say it can't, not on mutations. Mutations do not give us new kinds of animals. It's only influence is what is in there. It, as a matter of fact, it decreases information only. It never adds new information. It decreases the information. You know, Darwin wrote, On the origin of species, the means of natural selection. That Darwin said, Natural selection acts only by taking advantage of slight successive variations. And Richard Dawkins, he said in his book that it's not like you take this one grand step to the top of the hill. You can never take sudden leaps, but the advance must be short and small and sure. You see, Darwin thought paleontologists would discover all the missing links of these short and gradual steps between each kind of animal. Paleontology is the science dealing with fossils of long deceased animals and plants that lived up to billions of years ago. So, natural selection merely redistributes or reduces pre existing genetic information, and mutations often corrupt the information. Now, you must understand, natural selection cannot generate brand new genetic information it simply doesn't work that way instead it filters the information that already exists there and when we talk about these small steps these sure advanced small steps we will see in the Cambrian explosion that we are clueless as to how this all began of how did inanimate materials become life as we know it Remember, science is observable, repeatable, and testable. That if we can't have these things in science, then it's really not science, it's philosophy. General theory of evolution is the idea that a single cell organism gained new genetic information over billions and billions of years and eventually arrived at higher life forms. One of the problems that Darwin talked about is we got to be able to have the paleontologists find these fossil records that show evolution, that show these gradual changes. I like what David Raup said candidly as he observed the fossil record. He is a prominent evolutionary paleontologist. He says... It is not always clear, in fact, it's rarely clear, that the descendants were actually better adapted than their predecessors. When we look at natural selection, we need to see that it's not selected on a teleos argument. That natural selection isn't based on what it's hoping to become, but it's actually the here and now. It doesn't look with intelligence to end game or purpose. No, if a a moth that has two black spots can cover from being eaten to death, it will then, because it is still living, it will then produce some offsprings. Because of its genetic qualities, it will produce, eventually, offsprings with black spots on it also. Now, if those black spots are not needed then eventually those moths would be eaten up and so this is what we're talking about by environmental pressures that bring selection it's not new material it's the genetic material that's already capable to work when the environmental stresses are hit that these uh, genetic mutations would begin to function and work and then you have the hereditary coming forth as offsprings that would use it again and use it again but this is happening on a daily pace. This is not something that they're all looking forward to get one day to where from a moth you might become a reptile of some sort. We understand that in this genetic natural selection that you're getting less and less information as mutation begins to come forth we know that as genetic mutations begin to take place that we're having more and more errors and less and less information now we understand for instance if you have an antelope that can run fast and can outpace the predators and if it does that then we know it's going to extend its life whereas the the slower antelope of course he's going to die so the next breed that comes they are going to be fast antelopes and so we can call this natural selection But this is, again, not adding new information to it. And that must be noticed that there isn't new information. But if let's get something to where, let's say there's this moose that's very uh, intellectual, let's call it. He knows how to hide well. He knows how to uh, uh, camouflage himself. He knows how to get through wire and through traps. He's just a little smarter moose than the other guy. But the other moose... He's strong. Uh, This other uh, moose, pound for pound, he's buff. And when uh, they come to attack him, to feed off of him, he's able to get away because he's strong. Well, which one of these two are going to make it to the next... Offspring. Which one is natural selection looking at to say, do we need pound for pound a moose that's strong and buff and that can conquer those who are trying to eat them? Or do we need an educated moose that can be educated? Or do you somehow, because they mate together and now that natural selection becomes a moose that's educated and is buff and so this is what we would go to but this is not something that's looking towards that goal guys this this is blind to the blindest of goals of no direction it just is it's just happening in fact if we read a few quotes this quote is by professor lynn margillis the evolutionary biologist winner of the national medal of science in 1999 here's the quote, natural selection eliminates and maybe maintains, but it does not create. neo darwinists say that the new species emerge when mutations occur and modify an organism. I was taught over and over again that the accumulation of random mutations led to evolutionary change, which led to new species. I believed it until I looked at the evidence. An Amitrispe Professor Peter Saunders, a specialist in biology systems. He said natural selection of random variations cannot provide an adequate explanation of why organisms are the way they are and how they came to be that way. For that we must draw on all of science and not just, right, biology. And when we're thinking about natural selection, When we look at a human being, a human being does not seem beneficial for an evolved society. First of all, birth is a hard thing for a human being to do. So it had to make new genetic mutations to bring forth birth through the birth canal. And then it takes at least seven years for a child to feed itself. What kind of natural selection is that, that that. They thought it would be good, these selections, these mutations that were blind guided, thought it would be good that a child would take seven years to educate themselves on just how to feed themselves. You see, humans have caused more havoc on Earth. The reproductive system of a human is really unfit. If we're looking at natural selection and mutation humans should not have been a selection or an environment stress hold for life we take far too much utility you would think that bacteria would be the end game not the beginning game that bacteria that can produce over and over again that they would be living in this world we called earth that humans would be extinct and gone and bacteria would just be living here. Instead, bacteria became the first to come out as an organism. Philosopher Jacob Gold Sherman put it way back in 1887. Natural selection may explain the survival of the fittest, but it cannot explain the arrival of the fittest. Thank you for being a part of this. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics, and we'll see you next week.
0: That's a take. And this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com.